Hello and welcome to episode 15 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrell. Each time we have the honour of interviewing an athlete, the questions will be shaped around the Scottish Physical Education School curriculum. This is going to give us an insight into how athletes gather information on their skills and their fitness levels. It will also reveal how they would plan a period of training to develop their areas of development. Firsthand, we will get a personal insight into how the mental, emotional, physical and social factors impact on these different athletes' performances and how they utilise or manage these factors. Andrew Murray is recognised as a leading specialist within sports and exercise medicine. He has worked at the Olympics, the Paralympics and the Commonwealth Games. He has also worked at the Ryder Cup, the British Open, the Tour de France, whilst at the moment he's currently working with the University of Edinburgh. On a personal level, Andrew is a Scottish international distance runner who once ran 4,300 kilometres from John O'Groats to the Sahara Desert and also completed a remarkable seven ultramarathons in seven different continents in under a week. Andrew has also won 14 marathons slash ultramarathons. Right, thank you very much for agreeing to do this today, Andrew. How have you been, mate? Yeah, good. That's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so, diving right into it then, could you give us and the listeners a little background information on your professional and personal career thus far? Yeah, I think uh, I like to do a few different things in life. So I guess my main job at present is a doctor. Uh, I do some work in public health, promoting exercise for health and promoting health eating and the right amount of sleep, etc. And I'm really passionate about that because actually the same things that deliver high performance and the same things that allow you to be at your best also keep you healthy. Um, So even sleeping eight hours a night compared to five can help you prevent viruses, which is really important at this point in time can help with mental health and well-being and can help prevent a range of chronic diseases as well. And it's the same for regular physical activity. So obviously it can be a bit more difficult during lockdown, but even getting 30 minutes of exercise five times a week and it can be walking, it can be cycling, or it can be doing something massive like the West Highland Way, which I know you guys are tomorrow, can be mm-hmm. beneficial in terms of longevity or preventing many chronic diseases like type 2 diabetes, heart attacks, strokes, etc., etc. So by doing these sort of things, you might get athletes' foot, but you're far less likely to die early, etc. So that's key things that we're looking to promote. So I think as doctors, it's always really, really tempting to give people medications, which can be important, or to give people mm-hmm. operations, which again is super important. But doing the basic things really well, like healthy eating, regular physical activity, decent amounts of sleep, the right sort of amount of caffeine, etc. These are the sort of things that will help you be, be happy, which is, I think, the most important thing, uh, and also contribute to health. So I do a fair bit of health promotion. I also work in professional sport. So I am the chief medical officer for the European Tour and the European Tour Performance Institutes. That's uh, just responsible for our uh, operations in 31 different countries and the 78 different tournaments that we've got. Um, And that's a great pleasure working with the athletes and also with different sports. For example, do some work with Celtic, do some work with Scottish rugby, do some work for the RMA, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all great. And I used to also do a fair bit of running and uh, climbing, et cetera, et cetera. I still do. But because I've got three kids under five, I'm probably doing a little bit less of that at present. And then 
To be honest, you know, the kind of capers you'd get of, I mean, having kids is absolutely class, that's brilliant, but I can't just get up <laughs> now and uh, just run to North Berwick, but you can see from yeah. my house, a good 26 miles, and I'd like nothing better, because I'd be back just in time for it getting dark. <laughs> it's funny you say that, we were actually up there today, surfing, up in Dunbar. Right? Yeah. Oh, Bellhaven Bay, sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a class we place, actually. It's a... Uh, Good for a surf, particularly if it works, doesn't work all the time, but it's nice out there. You've got Bellhaven, mm-hmm. you've got Pease, you've got Tinningham. Um, yeah, I didn't think Scotland was a, the surfing place, but it turns out there's a, a few good spots to surf. There is, yeah, and obviously up north can be really good up Terzo, and then mm-hmm. yeah, uh, had some great surf before on Isla, uh, and also at Matt Kahanish, etc. Matt Kahanish is great, go for a surf, play a game of golf Where, on the same day. Bob's your uncle. Where's that, where's that about? It's on the Mull of Kintyre. All right, okay. Yeah, so unless I've completely lost the plot, then uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good wee drive from Edinburgh, but it's handy enough if you're from Glasgow, right. maybe. So, when you're talking about the health promotion stuff, Andrew, would you do any work like, from a school perspective, from our own angle? Would you be in schools delivering any workshops or interventions? I have done before. Uh, I worked full-time for the Scottish Government for a while as the first physical activity champion. Um, and I've done some stuff with NHS Inform, recently been supporting work from the World Health Organization, etc. Mm-hmm. So just been flat out like a drinking lizard. So I've been into some schools, but probably not as many as I'd like, and uh, particularly not during the old COVID. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so we're going to move on to some uh, training-related questions now, having been an ultramarathon runner yourself. Before you plan an expedition uh, or train for a race, would you review your previous results in a, in a marathon, for example, or would you conduct any uh, fitness uh, tests to plan your training? Good question. I guess I look at runs or races in two different ways. Sometimes you're out and out competing. You're trying to run as fast as you can and trying to uh, come as high up the field as you possibly can. And sometimes you're just doing it for an absolute caper. So, for example, when I ran to the Sahara Desert, uh, there wasn't anyone else in the race. It was just me and essentially heading all the way down to the Sahara. It's a lie to say actually it was just me, but I was the only one that was doing the whole distance. I did have mates that came and ran a marathon with me or did bits and pieces, which is fantastic. Um, but again, that was very much just one foot in front of the other, get there as fast as you can, but also taking the sight. So rather than just running straight down the motorway or you know the busy roads like the A9 and stuff, it was about going and taking in the West Highland Way, coming down through the Great Glen, doing all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Again, there's some really good things to see, and that's pretty much why I run. It's to see the world and really not have to uh, just see stuff going past too fast in the car, really. So I think if you run or you cycle, you can just see a bit more. You can hear the birds. You can smell what's going on. Um, and so sometimes you get a bit of a combination. So when I've raced at the North Pole or Antarctica or in Indonesia or out at Mongolia, you know, really it's all about seeing stuff, meeting new people, making new friends, uh, seeing what the world is like in that part of the world, and then you'll race as well. Because <coughs> essentially that's what was paying the bills at that time. If you go and you do reasonably well in a race, then people tend to be pretty supportive from a sponsorship perspective in terms of the various companies or et cetera, et cetera. But, do you know, to be honest with you, I will tend to go and do stuff just because I like doing it. But in terms of training, it's really there is no substitute for doing the basics well. So sleep like a champion, get eight hours sleep per night, eat like a champion, plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables, anything that's colourful that's not horrible really is going to be good for you. 
Um, <laughs> muscles are made of protein, so regular quality protein is extremely important for runners. A lot of people just eat protein during lunch and dinner. But even something such as a handful of nuts or a couple of eggs for your breakfast can see you right, maybe a Greek yogurt before you go to bed. You know, that just keeps your muscles topped up with the sort of stuff that you need. And then if you're running far, then, you know, obviously you've earned some carbs and you can have some carbs to replace what you've used or ahead of that. You know, so if I'm going to go out for a long run tomorrow, I'll probably stock up on some carbs tonight along with my proteins and uh, my vitamins and minerals through the fresh fruit and vegetables. So I suppose that's it. In terms of training, again, there's no real substitute for specificity. So really, I would say if you're trying to run fast, then when you're training, you run fast. So if I'm trying to do a short race, like a marathon, for example, um, then you'll probably be aiming to do a couple of sessions per week. I'm being facetious there. Of course, marathons are pretty long, but you know, mm -hmm. um, just because I'm relatively limited in being, I'm better at doing longer races, really. And then, so if you are doing longer races, then there is absolutely no substitute for getting out there and doing the actual miles. So if you're doing ultras, then you're going to have to practice running for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. um, and again, if you are running at the North Pole, you can be quite creative about it. The conditions can be all right for that in the Cairngorms, or you can get out and wade around in the deep snow, or it could be just run up and down some sand dunes. Of course, you're not going to get the temperature exposure there, but sand and snow are kind of the same in terms of running through it. Mm -hmm. um, and so again you're trying to just be as specific as you can and being creative and i think you know there's a fair bit of science that can go into that and you can often get better results than you think just by ensuring that you're thinking of the things that you can control um yeah and as you say you know the west island weight isn't that great you know that's the sort of thing in scotland we're pretty blessed we can go out and running some amazing places you're not just constantly having to run past factories etc yeah we're lucky what um so see as far as like training mentally for like these expeditions and stuff that you've been on like how much would you put yourself through some voluntary discomfort like is there anything that you do in particular just to batter your mind to prepare it for these challenges uh, I tend to watch Aberdeen at football that tends to be <laughs> particularly good for that <laughs> I mean I um, take that one on board it's a good yeah, or maybe Scotland at rugby these sort of things can be challenging the world in equal measure you know you get the pleasure and you get the torture eh? <laughs> uh, no, I mean uh, I think experience is the best teacher so if you've done a few mm -hmm. ultra marathons then you've kind of been to some pretty dark places before and you yeah. kind of be like oh it's just not as bad as that time when I was running in far north Canada with a broken leg or you know, nothing can be that bad and <clears throat> you can kind of call on those times and it gets you through you know the first mm -hmm. time anything can always be the most difficult sometimes it can be the most exhilarating as well but you know, actually, once you've done stuff a few times, it tends just to be, you learn wee tricks, don't you? You learn what to yeah. think about, you learn to put some music on, you learn to take some caffeine on board, you learn not to fuel up early and stuff. So um, I don't specifically try and pull my toenails out or any of that sort of caper. Right. <laughs> the first time we'd done the West Angle, Lewis had to put compied on my toes. <laughs> Never that bad. I couldn't even, I was that unflexible, I couldn't reach down to do it. Yeah. See when, you, see when you're doing your training, how do you know you're on track? Are you just going by how you feel? Sometimes we've we've been training for things and to, like for the three peaks, for example, we trained before we thought we were doing really well, but then just towards the end we just started to pick up wee niggles. I think we'd overtrained. How do you yeah. manage that side of things? Yeah, again, uh, if you've done the same race before then you kind of get a bit of a guide as to whether you're on track or not. Um I think that 
Do you know the thing about running is that 80% of runners in any given year will get an injury. So it's just about trying to work out whether you need to dial back a bit at that point. And I guess mm-hmm. running injuries are pretty predictable. If you increase by more than 10 or 15% each week, it's quite likely you're going to get injured. Or if you completely change your running style or completely change the terrain that you're on, then the chances of getting injury are more likely than not. So I guess yeah. what you're trying to do is you're trying to prevent that in advance. So you're looking to build up really gradually. You're looking to give yourself at one at least one clear recovery day per week, if that's at all possible. Um, you're looking to make sure that again you're getting mm-hmm. decent for rest and repair and for you know eating the right sort of things. And I guess it's about you know prevention is better than cure. It's the ultimate medical idiom. And even if you do get an injury, and there's wee tricks you can try in terms of running a bit differently. So when I ran to the Sahara, for example. I say you should have rest days, but I didn't have any. The least I ran on any day in those you know, two and a half months was, I think, 29 miles. Right. You know, you just have to change things sometimes. Mm-hmm. You have to get off uh, the road onto the trail or vice versa. Or you have to try and go from running forefoot to back or just, just things that yeah. mix up a little bit or wear slightly different footwear. So, so how, how many days did you take to complete that challenge? You were doing 29 miles a day. Yeah, so somewhere between, uh, the least I did was 29 miles, and I think the most I ran was like 57 or so. How many um, days? 78 days in a row. Wow. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. Unreal, isn't it? How far down is the Sahara Desert into Africa? Is it just... As you uh, come in, or... Miles, yeah. So the route was, you basically just uh, start off in John O'Groats and then head south, really. Yeah, and then uh, I didn't bother swimming the channel. I, I was that? I was, cheating, <laughs> was it self-supported that you done it, or was it just a bit of a mix? So I was the only person that ran the whole way, but I had a camper van with me for a fair bit of it. It was winter, right. so I usually stayed either in the van or like in a wee B and B, or bivied a couple of times. Or um, my wife came with me for a bit. We were planning our wedding. Got married the week after. I got back. Um, <laughs> As you do. <laughs> yeah, my mom and dad came for a bit. My brother came for a bit. A couple of my mates. It was it was good. You know, it's apart from that, apart from natural running, man, you've got some, some good time to see stuff. And again, yeah. you get into France, and there's nice vineyards, and there's some good stuff to eat, and in, uh, in Spain, and then you get over to Morocco, and you know the world just hits you. I mean, Africa is completely different. There's just big skies and stars and massive mountains. Like Spain, I think is the most mountainous country in Europe. I thought that'd be Switzerland, but apparently it's Spain. I don't know. I don't know if you calculated that. Um, and then Africa is, you know, North Africa is just different in terms of the heat. And then in terms of the mountains you've got, and then of course you reach the Sahara Desert and it's just an absolute world of sand. And it's, mm-hmm. it's hard, you know, running 34 miles a day in the Sahara takes it out of you. Um, and obviously as a, as a ginger, then you get sunburned. So... <laughs> Running with a brolly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That sort of stuff. What, um, I was, so did you pick up any like niggles along the way when you were doing that? Or did you feel like, in terms of like muscular injuries or like tendonitis or anything like that? Did you ever experience any of that when you were doing this? Or were you, loads, loads, of, yeah. yeah. Or were you just kind of pushing through? Uh, well... No, I mean, the definition of insanity is to do the same thing and expect different results. So yeah. when you've got an injury and you're going to have to do the same thing for weeks after it, you just need to change stuff slightly. 
So mm-hmm. I slowed down a little bit or I'd run further forward or run further back or changed my footwear for a little bit or went on flatter terrain. Obviously, Scotland's quite hilly, etc. So I got quite a lot of tendinosis of my Achilles um, <clears throat> until I left Scotland. And then, believe it or not, England made it a bit better by being a bit flatter. Got Achilles injuries in uh, France for a bit and then Illa Tibio Band, Hampshire Tennessee. So it's just about, you know, working out what was the root cause of it and then removing it. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Right, so as an ultra runner, there are many different kind of components of fitness which are pertinent to achieving optimal performance. What approaches do you use to develop the following aspects? So you can just pick one and uh, kind of talk us through the process. So power, balance, speed, CRE or muscular endurance. It really depends what you're looking to achieve. So if you're looking to lift heavy stuff, then obviously you're looking to get strength and power. Um, I would say that you know, doing strength and balance work is really important for running as well because mm-hmm. all of the top guys on earth now are doing strength work. It makes you more efficient and it makes you less likely to get injured. Yeah. So strength and balance work is really important. Um, I think in terms of endurance, if you're running long distances, which I do, then no substitute for getting the miles in. But you need yeah. some speed as well. So the bottom line is you focus most on the thing that's important to you. Yep. So see, see if see if you were training speed, like so I read a book recently, and it was a guy called Jack Daniels. He's a he's a running coach. Um, I yeah. don't know if you've heard of him. It's called Daniel Daniels Running Formula. It's a good, a really good book about training, and it was telling you about like all your running economy and stuff, and the the importance of like your breath and everything like that. Do you really focus on that when you're doing your running? So that, I think it was saying for like maximal o- oxygen kind of intake was two strides per breath in, two strides per breath out, something like that. Do you go into like as much nitty gritty as that for for when you're focusing on your running technique? No, I don't. No, not at all? No, I think, you know, it sort of depends. I mean, I've never had a problem with breathing. So I think if it right. is something that... I think, you know, if you are someone that's had issues with breathing before, then obviously there are some fantastic running coaches out there that can give top mm-hmm. tips. But I think yeah. focus on the things that are important to you. We don't need to necessarily do absolutely everything. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, the real basics really are to get the training spot on and then to also just, I'll, I'll, I'll bleat on about it again, you know, sleep like a champion, eat like a champion, yeah. train like a champion. You're good. And did a, lot, a lot of your training and stuff like that, was that all kind of, did you get, did you seek advice off different people or did you just kind of, as you went, just learned more about it and just kind of adapted to, to, to yourself? I would always try and speak to folk that have done that sort of stuff before. Right, okay. Um, and if you do, I mean, try and speak to people that have succeeded at it before. Yeah. Because absolutely. quite often you can get lessons from folk that haven't quite made it and that's really valuable mm-hmm. as well. But the mm-hmm. folk that have had success at the things that you're trying to achieve are the people you want to speak to. Yeah. So when, when you're going through a training cycle, how often do you monitor your training program to make sure you're maintaining your performance levels? Like say, say, for example, you've just started like a period of training for a specific race. How often throughout your training would you, would you monitor it? Or is that just a kind of ongoing process? Do you use like a training diary or anything like that? Well, I'd usually send through what I wanted to do in terms of races or things, and then I would send it through to Donny Campbell, who is a good mate of mine but was coaching me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I mean, essentially what he'd do is he'd set roughly what, what he'd want me to do for the week. So it wasn't like, oh, you have to go and do this on Monday or Tuesday, but you'd have a set, you know, seven days, one's completely off for recovery, and then he'd set some stuff to do for the other six days. Right. And I'd use it as a guide. I wouldn't stick by it completely rigidly. So if I was getting injured, um, then I would probably dial back on it a bit. Or, for mm-hmm. example, if it was a broad day and I was due to run on the flat, but I actually wanted to go into the mountains, and sometimes I'd just do that. But I'd use it as yep. a guide. And Donnie's that he knows all that sort of stuff. And uh-huh. I think the thing about it is it holds you to account because sometimes as an ultra runner, you just get a bit lazy and you want mm-hmm. to do a little bit less or you're indisciplined and you don't think that... Um, don't think it matters if you get recovery days and stuff like that as well. So mm-hmm. I basically used to just do roughly what Donnie told me. As you've probably experienced, Andrew, there's uh, several factors that can impact on your performance when you're running um, and affect your quality of your running and how fast you go. These can be mental, physical, emotional and social factors. I'd like to ask you about the mental factor. So within the, the PE curriculum, a lot of teachers and pupils listen to this podcast Within the PE curriculum, there's a lot of mental subfactors such as uh, mental toughness, decision making, motivation, and concentration. Can you give an example of whether you know any of these factors have ever had a, a really positive or a really negative impact on any performance within a race? Yeah, I think you know if you think you're going to succeed, or if you think you're going to fail, you're probably right. So if you're right on the start yeah. line and you think that things are going to be all right and you're confident and you just feel as if you've put yourself in a good place, the chances are that you'll manage to live out that ambition. And if you're just in a cycle that you're not quite right, or for some reason something isn't quite going your way, then sometimes you can block it and just talk yourself into a good performance and just recognize that you know, a certain amount of nervousness is fine or a certain amount of, I can't do this, is fine as well. But it's just about trying to put yourself in a place that you're going to you know, achieve that sort of peak performance. Yeah, so, and everything else will follow. Yeah. So again, do the basics well. Give yourself confidence in the start line and give it a shot. Great. Brilliant. So, Andrew, at the end of our podcast, we do a wee thing. We'll get a wee quick fire round of three questions. So just yeah. quick answers, and then we'll get three here for you. So if you could have a billboard anywhere, what would it say on it? I'd say sleep eight hours a day, eat the right sort of stuff, and uh, get some regular exercise and things will be fine. Love it. Question two, how has a failure... Oh, sorry, on you go. Or maybe eat broccoli more. That stuff's pretty good for you. <laughs> get, your, get your greens in. Yeah. Right, I'm, going to, I'm going to go and cook some for tomorrow. You know? Yeah. <laughs> how has a failure or apparent failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favourite failure? No, I don't have favourite failures. Of course, there are things that have led to future success and that you've seen things right after that. Um, but, you know, you probably do learn more from times that things don't go quite right. Mm-hmm. And we know that as kids, and that's the beauty about kids. I've got, you know, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and they're constantly spilling the milk, or they're constantly not quite getting it right. But they'll come back again and again and again, and they'll get it done eventually. And that's, that's yeah. great to see. Um, I think that... You know, there's plenty of times that you fail in life, isn't there? Loads, loads. So I tried to run from, uh, I tried to run up Mount Cotopaxi and then to the Amazon Basin in a day, which would have been like, I can't remember, 164 miles and 6,000 metres of ascent. But 
I ate some dodgy chicken, so I ended up visiting the toilet more often than I like. So <laughs> that was a that was a premature ending to it. So that's obviously taught me to make sure that you're very careful in what you eat. Uh-huh. Um, but I wouldn't say that was a favourite. Um, no, it doesn't sound like a favourite. <laughs> no. It's, I don't think there's anything wrong with failing, but I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, final one then. What advice would you give to a young teenage athlete aspiring uh, to do well in their sport? I'd say go out and have fun. Don't take it too seriously, but do as many of the right things as you can consistently. Uh, and you'll be all right. Perfect. Well, that, that rounds it up uh, nicely. I think what you've said there on question one and question three um, gives a, a takeaway message for, for the listeners. But have you got anything else that you would want to say? Because we, we like to finish off the podcast with a, a takeaway message from the guest and the hosts. So do you have anything else that you would like to say? I'd like to say thanks a lot for the chance to come on and also all the best for the West Highland Way over the next few days. Thanks very much, on, mate. Thanks. pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Uh, that, pleasure. that means a lot to us. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Great to speak, lads. Keep up the good work on the podcast and promoting all that you're doing in the schools. So uh, thanks yeah, a ton thanks. for that. Hey, so what was your, what was your um, key takeaway message from that then, Clark? I thought Andrew was really insightful there. You know, he had me a few, in, a, in a few moments. Um, taking some great wisdom from him. I'm going to implement it in my training program. Now, what can sometimes be be lost, I think, when we're training for a marathons and ultra marathons, is the importance of sleep. You know, he touched on it a couple of times. The importance of sleep. Sometimes we we forget that, and we we only sleep five six hours a night. But he was talking about how it's important to get that eight hours. So that's something that I'll go away and try and implement and make sure that I get to my bed at a decent time, so I get the eight hours because it's really important for recovery and for high quality performance, as Andrew said. Well, what was yours, mate? I'm afraid you're not going to get eight hours of sleep tonight, that's for sure. Oh, for know what time is it? I'm going to be in my bed two hours ago. <laughs> I, so for me, my key takeaway message would be, again, just about touching on what you've said about sleep. Um, Andrew mentioned just doing the basics well and doing them consistently. And if you can get that nailed, um, then I think you're, you're on a good chance of succeeding in whatever sport it is you do, whether it's running or football. Um, your, training, your training will fall into place if you can do the basics well and consistently. And you'll get that level of performance that you're looking for. I also like what um, Andrew said about a plan just being a plan. You can deviate from a plan. It's good to have a plan in place, but if you need to take a few back steps, if you're feeling tired um, or feeling a wee bit exhausted, it's fine to just back off a bit and just listen to your body. Or if, for example, one day you're supposed to be doing a flat uh, flat run, a long run on the flat, but you fancy a day running in hills, absolutely fine. Go for it. Just do what you feel like doing because that keeps the enjoyment in it. And um, that will make you stick to your to your training ultimately. So, yeah, there's a lot of good takeaway messages that I could have um, given there, but those are my, my, my favourites out of that episode today. So, Thanks for everyone tuning in to this episode of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this one and got some inspiration from some of these impressive feats of endurance that Andrew completed. Another prime example to show just how impressive the human body and mind is, and with the right mindset, a lot can be achieved. Keep your eyes peeled on social media for next week's episode of A Wee Bit of Everything. Take care.